0: The Jericho Network on Westwood One.
1: This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn.
2: Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on Westwood One. And I will get straight over to our co-host, Alan Niven. Good day, sir. Alan, how are you?
3: I'm very well. Are you doing good, Mitch?
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And of course, uh, we've got some great guests for you from Kingdom Come and formerly of the Scorpions. We've got... James Kotak. We also have Jim Kerr of Simple Minds, which I love and love and love and love. And of course, you've heard a whole great deal about the Dio Hologram Tour done by Eye Illusion. Well, they have teamed up with Amit Zappa to bring you the Frank Zappa Hologram Tour. But uh, before that, Alan, you had a splendid last couple of weeks you reunited if i can use the term with jack russell you went out and checked him out i guess in arizona you must have checked him out and then also slash you got to see yeah so let's start with with the jack russell thing You, you you had a chance to to talk to jack see jack you we've often spoken about great white um i'm gonna put you on the spot is it fair can you give me sort of a fair review of what you saw? Is Jack doing a good job? Is it it, just, what was the show like?
3: I have to say that I was blown away. Um, I hadn't seen Jack for a number of years and I went up to his motel room and he stepped out of the shower and I don't think it's any secret that Jack's body might be described as well used. Um, He's lost several inches in height uh, due to his bones um, deteriorating because of excessive steroid use through his life. And you look at him and you go, uh, are you gonna get through 90 minutes? And he got on that stage and he gave his all, and then some and what was extraordinary to me was there were you know a couple of moments i mean you know everybody's older most bands tuned down half a step um they were playing at 440 and there were a couple of moments where you went oh just a little more effect on that note might have helped him there but the thing i found fascinating was that he got stronger as the night went on and by the time he got to closing the the set with rock me uh I, it was goosebump times and I was listening to the tone and thinking, my God, I used to hear this all the time in the studio, but what was significant to me was it's not just about singing a note, it's not just about replicating what's on the record, it's about being a presence and connecting to an audience and he really connects to the audience and they wish him on and wish him well and he just gets stronger and stronger and stronger with that energy coming off the audience and he's really present and I would never have said this four or five years ago but if you want to go and see Jack Russell I say go now go see him he's delivering
2: yeah and that's you know that's what I've noticed too because if you if you go back and I, I I don't know the exact amount of years but let's say 5 or 6 and you see him on stage in a wheelchair and you saw him with a cane and stuff there there was a moment there where you thought oh boy and then if you start looking at the videos from 2017 2018 you go hey you know what he's back and he's delivering the goods and so 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 good for him and i'm I'm glad you had a positive experience because you never know right you hadn't seen him for a while it could have been a whole different story
3: well the other thing that impressed me too was it was uh, in a theater called the Ban in the theater, which is an, a new venue in Phoenix and a really, really cool venue. And it was a Tuesday night and I had my trepidations, you know, how many tickets are going to be sold for this? What's the room going to look like? And he had a full room. I was, I was really surprised by that. And it was really cool that that many people came out to see him on a Tuesday night. And, he, he he responded. He would, he was just thrilled to go out there and give his all to a full room of rock and rollers. And it was a really good vibe and a really good evening and well worth, it was a show worth going to.
2: Well, good. See that. And that that's, good to hear. Now that, that's the bill that has chips enough and enough's enough on it too, right?
3: Yeah. He, he opens, then there's a band called bullet boys, which I won't make any comments about, um, in the middle. Um, you know so you know it, it it's a, it's a decent night out if you want to go out and have a beer but if you want to go out and and hear some you know forgive me for saying it but some really cool classic songs uh delivered by the voice that recorded them um
2: go jack's, do it right jacks for you and and i'll just make one quick comment on bullet boys uh and i don't want to get into mudslinging but they had a drummer that started the tour He did two shows with them and then quit. And I think that is just incredibly irresponsible for the fans, for the promoters, for the band. You may not like it, but if you've committed to a tour that's being sponsored by Live Nation and House of Blues and SiriusXM, you suck it up for those 30 dates and you fulfill your commitments. Go be unhappy on the back of the bus, but you fulfill your commitments and to quit two shows in. I'm I'm amazed at anybody, you know, whatever.
3: I'll I'll, I'll tell you. um, I didn't get to be introduced to whoever took over, but you would not know that that guy had to step in on a day's notice. He he drove the band well. Uh, My impression was this is somebody they played with many times before.
2: I I think he was with them before. I think he was actually.
3: well the drummer from bullet boys brought it and he drove the band there was no sagging in energy there were no obvious uh, errors um you know so my my i tip my hat to that guy coming in at last minute like that and pulling it off i mean he was he was more than competent you know
2: yeah. well, Kudos good for him good for them and good that they didn't uh, you know they didn't have to get off the tour but it and i hate to use the word but it is exceptionally unprofessional to do what that other person oh,
3: did oh well, Did you hear about the guy from the Buffalo Bills who played one half of football last weekend? (laughs) Went to the dressing dressing room, put his suit on, and told everybody I retire and took a cab home. I mean, good Lord, halfway through the game.
2: (laughs) that, That, I believe, is the only time in any sport that anybody has retired, not gone home angry, retired. I mean, listen... We saw, as a Montreal Canadiens fan years ago, Patrick Waugh get pulled from a game and sort of storm off and blah, blah, blah. Okay, we've seen that. But to actually fill out your retirement paper forms, (laughs) yeah, well, I I Uh, guess, yeah.
3: Must be something in the air at the moment. But, um, no, if if anybody's in two minds whether or not to go and see this show – um, I know they played in Vegas, I think, last night, um, and they've got shows coming up next week. I think there are about you know, another 20 shows or to go. Uh, I'd say go. Go see it. Go see it now.
2: And here's another thing that uh, Jack is going to do coming up in 2019 in January, February. He's supposed to start the, and I don't know the exact name of the tour, but it's going to be sort of an evening of Jack Russell doing Led Zeppelin, sort of like they did back in what was it, like 94, 95, right? So he's going to go do these, these Led Zeppelin nights. And if he's in fine form, that's good to know because you can't go do Led Zeppelin being, you know, 10% of your no. old self, right? So No, no. Yeah. So, so that'll be no. fun.
3: Is he the Jack Russell of 1987? No. But I'm amazed at how good he sounded and how present he was. And... His passion and his energy and his his presence were just undeniable.
2: Well, good. And that's great to hear. So let me let me segue with this. Uh, James Kotak, of course, in The Scorpions, since we're talking about the late 90s and Led Zeppelin, he did play on this Led Zeppelin tribute where he did these. He was the drummer for Lou Graham on three Led Zeppelin songs, but he is now back with Kingdom Come. They have a new singer in there, Keith St. John, uh, Lenny is over i guess in germany and just doesn't want to participate he's i guess retired officially uh so kingdom come is coming out we we spoke to james before in this interview we did talk about his alcohol issues uh but it's just nice to see james back and well, it's nice to see yeah go ahead
3: there's a you know we were talking about jack and there's a uh, there's an echo here because James has been through a really hard time with alcoholism and you know, that's what cost him his job in the scorpions. Um, so well done to him to get control of that and be dealing with it a day at a time and being productive and putting his spirit back into the music and, and you know, hats off to both of them because dealing with addiction is not easy.
2: Not at all. And, not at all. and
3: the, you know, let's tip our cat to both, james and jack because they're back where they should be both of them
2: they are now just real quick before we 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 get over to the interview back in that day did you were, were you ever around kingdom come did they ever open a show did you see a show uh did you hear the criticism of they're too much like a led zeppelin band and so on and so forth or were you i mean any any personal story about kingdom come from back then
3: I, I never connected with Kingdom Come, and I have to say that um, I might have been one of those voices who went, oh, this is a bit overt. Um, you know, and obviously there's the situation where with uh, Great White we did Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, and it became a, a video hit on MTV because we did it on Unplugged. Um, we had, I always had to be careful in producing and writing with Jack, to keep him in Jack mode and not lead him into plant territory. Because, my God, you know, if anybody can sound like plant, it was Jack. In fact, there was a, a story I heard there was a, a friend of mine at a, at a party in Brazil, of all places, and he was talking with um, Joe Elliott, Def Leppard, and Robert Plant. And uh, in the conversation, they brought up Jack Russell, and he said to Robert Plant, have you ever heard Jack Russell? He sounds a bit like you. And apparently Robert Plant turned around to him and said, sounds a bit like me. He sounds more like me than I do.
2: See? And that's why that that tour that he's going to do in in 2019 is going to be worth seeing because he's – on his game, and even the great Robert Plant says that he's more Robert Plant than Robert Plant. See? So there you go. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be a great little tour. Shall we get over to our interview?
3: Uh, Absolutely.
2: Let's go Uh, and hear James speak for himself. We will hear James speak for himself, but right after I mention this, of course, when it comes to hiring, you do not have time to waste. You need help getting to your short list of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed Dot com. Post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on qualified candidates using an intuitive online dashboard. And when you need to hire fast, accelerate your results with sponsored jobs. New users can try for free at indeed.com slash podcast. That is indeed.com slash podcast. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. Much like James Kotak and Kingdom Come, here they are. We are speaking with drummer James Kotak. Of course, the band Kingdom Come is coming out for their thirtieth anniversary tour. James, absolutely, always a pleasure to talk to you.
4: As likewise, Mitch. Uh, how's everything with you?
2: Good. Life is grand. You know, the the, the show is doing well. I'm, I'm I'm seeing all kinds of bands these days. A lot of great concerts coming up. Uh, Cannot complain, so uh, you know.
4: Well, that's great because I, I follow you on Twitter, and you're like, it's like you're nonstop. <laughs> well, you know, in a good way.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's it's intense, but I, I I do try to keep it to eight to ten posts a day and space them out like an hour or two apart, so it's not like five in a row kind of thing. But uh, you know, and and recently I had the the pleasure, of course, of having. The Scorpions' official Twitter and Facebook and website uh, post one of my interviews with Matthias. Matthias. So, Matthias, Matthias. Yeah, always always a thrill when when the Scorpions uh, or a band you love—not just the Scorpions, but if Kiss or whatever—post something. It's always it's always. Nice, but let's uh, let's talk about this Kingdom Come thing. Now we we've talked about it uh, before, not not so long ago, and and even uh, Keith came on and, and co-hosted the episode and, and talked about it as well. But just getting a quick update as to where we are in terms of, you know, what's what's it looking like in in rehearsals? What's sort of the sense of the band is this? Like, yeah, we've really got something here, and we're gonna see about next year and new music and the whole thing or is it exactly
4: okay the the vibe is excellent and actually johnny be frank the bass player is over here at my house right now and uh uh rick and steyer and danny stag and we're we all no matter how many years we're apart or whatever um you know um we just gel and we all click and we always actually like each other (laughs) which is really important in the band 'Cause it's fun to just like, you know, with scorpions, it, it is fun to go out and you're with your friends as opposed to oh god, I gotta work with this guy. And that was always a wonderful thing about scorpions. And it's the wonderful thing about Kingdom Come now. So we're we're up and running,
2: man, and um uh, just speaking of friends with the Scorpions, if, if you go, go and listen to that Matthias uh, interview that I did, he does speak about you and he does say that he's, that uh, James is a friend and will always be a friend, which, which was very nice of him to say. And, of course, I, I, I wouldn't expect him to say otherwise, but, you know. Um, in terms of new music, uh, you know, a lot of bands, especially from that era, they will re-record uh, earlier tracks, earlier songs for a release later on. Is that something that interests you to, to to sort of say okay before you get a brand new album how about an album with Keith singing the songs is, is that of interest at all has a record company suggested it or is that like yeah no we're we're, we're not messing with the original
4: Um and I, you know what I'm kind of like that uh we did that with Scorpions with a few songs and I've uh, done it with uh Uh, a a couple of it, the bands, I know journey did it and uh, everybody's doing it, but um, I'm all always for something new. Um, But uh, also contractually, I'm not sure we're allowed to for a a period of time with uh, putting out new music and, uh, and, um, but we'll see, you know, there's always an option. We're just now like, like we've got our set list together and we're, Kind of go rashing through things, so we'll just see what comes about it. You know, it's and we we're going to have a lot of time together coming up here, and you know that's the kind of thing you could do at Soundcheck. You can
2: mess around with new ideas, so yeah. we'll see. Yes, yeah, so I'm hoping something comes from it. Now, um talk to me about the 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 band's origins, because back in the day, you know, the, there was this perception that you were you were taking from the sounds of Led Zeppelin and so on and so forth. And that seemed to have been a criticism. And yet these days you look at a band like Greta Van Fleet and they have the same comments and yet they wear it as a badge of honor. Uh, Talk to me about the influences of the first bands and those comparisons. And did they bother you at the time? Do they bother you now? And uh, just sort of explore that angle for me.
4: Well, it's funny. Um, I was always going – you know, they go, man, you know, the Zeppelin influences there. I'm like going, awesome. Uh, that's totally cool. And, uh, you know, your drumming kind of resembles John Bonham sometimes. I'm like going, thank you. Because if you're going to get compared, at least get compared to the best. That's why I'm thrilled to to see what's going on with Greta Van Fleet. And they're out there and just, just going for it. However, back in that time period, when our album came out and they're just going, well, it's Led Zeppelin stuff. Well. We were all kind of accepting of it, and but um, the former singer was not, and he would, you know, kind of get totally ticked off with with uh, journalists who asked about it or brought it up. And we we're like, going, "Man, Lenny, no, I, mean, I just, you know, no, this is great. <laughs> it was a great thing. It that had a lot to do with our success. So I was always a proud wear wear of the badge, as you called it, of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh,
2: that, yeah, that, that is going to bring me to to my next question, because I have gone down this 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 rabbit hole in the last couple of months of listening to nothing but foreigner. And back in the day, around ninety nine <laughs> or ninety seven, you had a chance to to work with Lou Graham on, of course, uh, three Led Zeppelin songs. Right. Heartbreaker. Uh, what was the other ones? A Stairway to Heaven and 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 uh, Black Dog. And it's it's you, Zach you know, Wilde and Jeff Pilson.
4: Oh no, I know. It's almost I, I I you know, somebody brought that up to me. Um and it was awesome because we did with Keith Olsen and we could do, we just flew in there and me and Jeff had done several albums at this point and it was a blast, Are you kidding? And uh there's some great talent on there. And I it's so long ago though, I'm not I'm not sure whether Lou was there when we rec- we when we recorded the tracks. I don't recall it, but I'm sure he must have been in there at some point, you know, because albums like this, everybody's schedule was so whacked out. And uh, so you have to get it, just do it. And man, we did it pretty fast. We did those tracks in uh,
2: no time. Right. And but what's remarkable about it, two things. First of all, uh, Lou Graham's voice on those songs it's probably one of the only singers that you could say could copy Robert Plant and, and or not copy him, but but do the songs and not go, oh yeah, but it's not the real voice. His voice sounds great, but also, right. And not to pat you on the back too much, but but the drumming on there is spectacular. I mean, talking about John Bonham, oh, yeah. So so, Mitch. talk to me about your your drumming influences and and you know just the whole thing Um, was John Bonham, one of your guys and and just talking about your different influences in the drumming world, if you want.
4: Okay. Well, when I first um, starting out, you know, we had a handful of eight track tapes (laughs) um, down in in the basement where my drums were. And uh, one was grand funk. So grand funk Railroad was a huge influence on me. And uh, I had the live album. And then of course I had Zeppelin four, and James Brown, Greatest Hits, and I would just rotate through all these albums. And I'm like going, wow, how does he do that? And just to hit it over and over and over, especially with the the Led Zeppelin stuff. And I mean, there there were a handful of others. Um, Another one, well, regarding my drum solo idea came from from Grand Funk Railroad, and also, Tommy Aldridge, who was on Black Oak Arkansas' first albums, he was like 17 or something like that. I saw him on Don Kirshner's Rock Concert, or one of those shows, and he just flipped me out and blew me away. Like I'd never seen an animal like that. <laughs> and uh, so I have to put uh, Tommy Aldridge in, in that heat, a, a too big time. And, um, I mean, that's going way back to the beginning. But over the years, you know, I went through my oh, you own know, per- uh, period, and I went through my oh, this guy's great period. And then, you know, Kingdom Come, we got to tour with uh, with Black Sabbath when on the Headless Cross tour and Cozy Powell was the drummer. I was just watching from the side every night, every other night. And um, he was always one of my favorite. He played on the Rainbow album, uh, Rainbow Rising. And that's where I learned to play double bass. Just I played the Light in the Black over and over, but I'm still not very good double bass master. But that's a, that's a, a a good amount of guys work, who influenced me. Yeah,
2: and 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 of course, uh, you know, may may uh, cozy rest in peace. But what a phenomenal drummer he was, just absolutely oh, phenomenal. No um, talk to me a little bit about putting on a show as a drummer, because you know there there are drummers that do their solo spots, and and people sort of go, okay, well, it's it's so that the singer gets a break and stuff, but. Kotak Attack is is a different beast. I mean, you're you're jumping up on the drums, and you've got the the, the skateboard tape on there to make sure you don't slide off, and it's a whole spectacle. Talk right. to me about the importance of show for both Kingdom Come, the band, but also as you in the drummer, and, and the fact that you had a chance to do this for, what is it, 14, 15 years within the Scorpions?
4: Uh, it was actually
2: 21.
4: 21,
2: guys. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh, I know. Nice.
4: I, I just saw the guys. I just saw the guys here in L.A. and yeah, I saw Hung them. out a bit, and uh, it was very cool. Um, and they're just great guys. And plus, I you know I've I've been friends with a lot of the crew guys. But anyway, getting back to that, I I've always said, and I I don't, I don't I don't I didn't I didn't make this up, but people listen with their eyes, and that's so true because what do you do when you go to a you go Yeah, I'm going to see the see the scorpions. or I'm going to see Kingdom Come. They don't say, yeah, I'm going to hear the Kingdom Come. <laughs> so that says it all right there in a nutshell if you want to really get it down to the basics. So I, I've seen so many drum solos over the earth where I'm going, why is he doing all this? He, he's, it's like the drum solo is geared towards showing off in front of other drummers and it's not very entertaining. And that's why I was trying to do some type of show. I've had my Kotek Attack One and Kotek attack, attack Two, which are two different animals, and uh, so I was—I'm very proud of those. And there was a lot of effort put in into both both souls. So you can uh, Google me or YouTube me. There's h- hundreds of them on on all over the place, which I'm very proud of.
2: Yeah, very proud of. So, so what does that mean for Kingdom Come, though, in terms of because because you know. <laughs> If you look at the Led Zeppelin comparison, they were more of a sort of an understated band. If And I know fans are going to say, no, they weren't. But I've right. always thought, compared to Kiss, I always thought they were sort of understated. Oh, yeah. But what does it mean for you? Like when a band goes to one of these reunion shows or one of these sort of, you know, 30th anniversary shows, let me call it that. Is it just sort of four or five guys standing on the stage or, or what visual aspect or what show aspect do you bring to it? Well,
4: our, our, um, we kind of have a limited budget sh- show. So, uh, I mean, my drum solo will be different from the solo I did with the Scorpions cause we, we have scaled down there and, uh, but it'll still be some show stuff and, you know, me blabbing my big mouth and, uh, you know, just anything we could, we could put in there and these things come along pretty fast and cause, okay, I'm playing in front of a, a thousand people or whatever. I better have a great drum solo together. <laughs> and
2: uh, so we'll see. We'll see, and I'm looking forward to that. Now, uh, one topic that has been discussed uh, publicly for, for the last couple of years is the the fact that you have been in recovery for, for alcohol and so on and so forth. How is that going? Because for, for me at the end of the day, whether you're in the Scorpions or Kingdom Come or not, For me, it's more important that you're alive and healthy and and having a great life and taking care of family business. How are you doing on that end? Are are things as they should be? If that's a proper way to say it.
4: Um. Yeah. You know, I'm cruising along here. I've I've, like any person. I've struggled here and there, and went through a few bad days and a few bad weeks here and there. But that's part of what recovery is. If you you relapse then you have to just jump back in and get right back on board. And, and uh, then because what you do, the the longer you're sober, you you start to get cocky and you get, um, what's the word? You get overconfident about, oh, I can do this. I can you know, go here and go. Because there's months and months and months and months and months. I would not even go to, uh, you know, the place where we like, me and Rick Starr have been going for 30 years here in Woodland Hills. and. We all would go in there and have drinks. So I, I didn't even go in there for
2: like over a year.
4: So it, like I said, it's a work in progress. And um, I don't know if you follow Dean Castronova. Absolutely. Of Dean,
2: Dean is a personal friend. In fact, I was with him about um, the day before my birthday, about two weeks ago. We we hung out in Montreal for, for an entire day. He's great. I think I saw something about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you follow my Twitter, you certainly did.
4: I know, but sometimes, you know, I won't check it for a day or two just because I don't want to overdo it. Right. But, like for you, that's your business. And, and I don't mind anybody posting 50 times a day. Um, it's just between that, Facebook, Kingdom Come, uh, Instagram, it's overwhelming. It's, it's too TMI, too much information, and uh, sometimes to deal with. So I have to kind of step back and take a break and,
2: you know. But, but as you were uh, saying, Dean.
4: You, oh, yeah, Dean. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a perfect example of a work in progress and somebody who's come out successful. And I was with him about, gosh, three, four, four years ago to the month. I went down to see him, see him play. And he was flying along doing great. And then uh, he he, you know, he relapsed for a while. And, but he got back on track and I'm really thank I'm really great. I'm, whatever the word is. I'm, I'm really thrilled for him. So, you know, I follow leads like that, like see what Dean's doing. Then also, you know, within Kingdom Come, Johnny B. Frank, the bass players, like I call him Dr. Frank because he's so knowledgeable and he's been uh, in, you know, program, the program for years. And uh, so we're, we're, it's, I have a good support. Team for there because we're playing a, lo- a lot of bars <laughs> and everybody wants to be- buy the band a drink. So, but yeah, th- it, it is what it is. But I'm, I'm cruising along, and doing the best I can, and that's all you can hope for because it's pro- progress, not perfection.
2: Right, and and, and, um, and you see that at shows. By the way, I, mean, I was at a show not too long ago where a fan bought four shooters and stuck them on the stage and said to the band, "These are for you." And and you almost can't escape it. and of course the fan is well meaning. He's not trying to harm anybody or do anything. I but so so what is the plan on the road, other than taking me out there to make sure you don't drink no I'm kidding. But no what is the plan? <laughs> what is the plan for that? And and is there a fear? are you fearful that it that it might turn the wrong way or are you super confident that i got this don't even bother me i got this
4: Uh, um you never say i got this that's what's gotten me in trouble a few times over the years it's a work in progress like i said so john and i've talked because our schedule is pretty pretty uh super tight and there's not going to be a lot of time but if we can you know hit a, a meeting uh you know during the day then go to sound check or you know their meetings all, all over the place at all different times. So that's part of the plan and also just daily checking in and things. And, and I also have, I, w- I don't want to say a network, but I have a list of several people from my rehab that we st- I stayed in touch with. And, uh, you know, we just kind of, about once a week, you know, I I just hit call them and uh, get, you know, just say, Hey, and it's a five minute conversation, but it does wonders. And then of course there's meetings. So you uh you know that's when you get cocky that's when the trouble comes you know
2: yeah and and i'm feeling pretty good about it you're feeling good about it and 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 let's hope it stays the right path um and and i'll i'll ask one more question about that before moving on but but the scorpions in different interviews whether it's with klaus or matthias or 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 have all talked about the help that they gave you Uh, i believe it was in aruba um
4: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was, a, I went down to Eric Clapton's
2: Crossroads. Right. His, uh, his facility. An,
4: actually, it's Antigua.
2: Antigua, sorry. Yes.
4: Yeah, so, and it's beautiful down there. And the program was wonderful. But like I said, if you don't continue working your program, you know, there will be trouble.
2: Right. And you know? and and let me ask you this, though, from the Scorpions' perspective, because they really did reach out And give you that chance and give you the opportunity. From what I understand, they even paid for it. They could have just closed the door. A lot of bands in their position would have just slammed the door and said, get out. Um, Talk to me about that and and knowing that this band was there for you. And and talk to me about how they treated you. Because it it really seems that they they treated you in a very humanistic way. And they gave you all those chances. And you know, were you grateful for what they did for you? Absolutely. You know, and even
4: when I was down at the rehab and ever since then, you know, I talked to the guys pretty, I wouldn't say every day, but more like, you know, emails or maybe once a month. And we just, just say, Hey man, just I see the Twitter's going great. And, uh, or this or that, or those, somebody will say, Hey, this one says hi. So, um, it's, I'm super mega grateful. They came through when, uh, I needed it the most. And the timings was right because we had to cancel uh, the remainder of the ger- the German tour um, in April of April of 2016 because Clash was having some uh, throat problems, and there was going to be some time off. I said, "Well, I might as well go down there," you know, <laughs> and it just worked out because they suggested it, and uh, and uh, you know, the things go along, and I ended up staying. Uh, like ninety days, and Mickey came to fill in, and it was going to be temporary. And it wasn't until we we got down to business, uh, like in October or November of two thousand sixteen, which was a long time later, that they we just they just decided to uh, you know say, man, you know, we want to talk to you. It's not like you're being fired. He goes, but we, but I, we're like you know, um, just we need we need, what, we want to move on. We want to part ways. I don't know if, you know, if it didn't feel like being fired, put it that way. (laughs) And, uh, but they're, they're great guys like that. They are they're, And I'm so grateful to them. I mean, put it this way, 21 years is a lifetime, (laughs) you know? And and of course I, I I would love to play with them, but sometimes it's just time to say, that's it. And you've got to move on.
2: Yeah, you do. And, and, yeah well, well and i don't mean to well, cut you off but okay go ahead no that's okay
4: no i was just no gonna i say don't go- know what i was gonna say uh, but, uh, but, uh, but <laughs> um no if you recall the tour was the, the farewell tour was supposed to end in 2000 at the end of 2012 it was gonna we were gonna be done, at and at that time i I had already regrouped kingdom come and we had uh i had my project with uh carrie kelly rudy sarzo and uh uh, Tim Ripper Owens and so and my own my my personal band Kotak and um you know I had all three of those set up, organized, ready to go and you know, because you gotta you've got to plan ahead. You can't just go, oh, let's make a band and go make some money. Doesn't work like that. And so then you know, I get a call from Clasco, James, you know, we decided not to say farewell and we're gonna do another album. I'm like going, oh, okay and um so it was just like they were gonna you know the whole process starts again and and super busy time so i had to put the uh, all three of the other project on hold and uh so here we are now you know and uh and matthias said the best thing to me he goes he goes well think of that that this you're getting like you three four bonus years (laughs) it's the truth because i was I was there till
2: 2000, almost 2017. Yeah, so, great bonus years, and, yeah. and of course, um, uh, what was it? Return to Forever, fantastic. Okay, so yeah. I, I was going to ask you about a couple of the albums, but let me take you, let me just ask you about the, the the farewell tour. You know, how I don't want to say honest, but how serious were they about having it be a farewell tour? And at what point did they say? Yeah, we don't want this to end. Like, was it sort of immediate as they got on the road, or were they really down to the point where, yeah, we're done? I mean, we really want to go home. And, and when did it start turning and, and the tides going? Yeah, we, we we really shouldn't do this. We're not done yet. <laughs> well, like I said, that <clears throat> excuse me, the Sting in the Tail
4: tour started, and um, uh, gosh, in 2010. And yeah. as we were going along, they were, you know, press was asking. They made an announcement this is going to be the, the final sting. And, uh, you know, after about a year, it was cool. And then about another, maybe another half a year, you could, everybody, we were going around basically saying farewell to everybody in all these cities around the world. And it just started to go that way. And that's third decision. You know, I'm, I'm along for the ride, but then just towards the end, uh, <laughs> we were, we were shooting our, our, documentary film um god dang it, what's the name of it
2: oh yeah um <laughs> oh, should i have it i have it that's it
4: yes <clears throat> and, and it turned out excellent but as they were filming because they filmed this over a period of two, two years um the conversation started to change a bit and uh, it was just it felt like the right thing to do and next thing you know <laughs> that's where it turned and uh because you know when they film these things, they send the camera crew out for like two, three days at a time over a period of like a year and a half, and that's how everything went. I mean, I was I was glad it was going to keep going.
2: Yeah, and I have so, no uh, no guess, regrets. Yeah. to calling yeah. it a, a farewell tour. I mean, it, it, you know, whatever, keep going, going, right. going. You know, do like the Rolling Stones or BB King, rock, rock till you drop. Right.
4: Yeah, and you know what? That's kind of like. You know, I remember Klaus saying in many interviews, um, um, you know, Paul McCartney's getting up there and he's still going. So I well, I went to two, almost like a competition. <laughs> but Klaus I, I said I saw uh, I saw the band last Sunday at their show and uh, I mean the whole band sounded great, but Klaus was exceptional. He sounded so good, man. And uh, he just killed it and we spent some time together. And talked and took photos and caught up and it was great.
2: Yeah, I really was. And uh, I'll finish on 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 a lighter note. One of my favorite Scorpion albums and and there's like 12 of them uh, is <laughs> Humanity Hour One. But here's a, a, an album that was you know. I would say misunderstood and it came out at a time where music was going through all these changes, but just quickly talk to me about that. Cause when I look at it and listen to it, I just don't see any weak spot on it. You know, three to one hour one game of life, uh, loving me to death. I mean, Tell me about it. It's great. It's absolutely. So just on a sort of more, um, but a fluffy ending for this interview, just, just check, quickly talk to me about that one and putting it together and what it was like to work on it. And, you know, should should the fans give it a second listen? The ones that that missed out on in the first go round.
4: Absolutely, um, but I mean, it's it, it was uh, you know Desmond Child was the
2: main producer and
4: um, James Michael, um, you know from Six Sense and yep.
2: other he he produced. Six like AM, six AM, six AM,
4: six AM. Thank you. Ding, 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 ding. Um, what did I say? Six Sense.
2: Six Sense. That, yeah, you said Nikki Sixth Sixth, right is show, not the band yes
4: oh okay cool um (laughs) no man um um that album is awesome and and uh and it we did it one thing different about it was we recorded in L.A. and i don't care what you say it's a different vibe when you record here i don't know how to describe it it was like really detailed and put together so well through desmond and his his team and uh, i thought the album was great i it, but it did a few things confuse people because it was called, uh, you know, uh, Humanity Hour One. So everybody goes, well, is there going to be an hour or two? And um, but, you know, albums are, are like, you know, your kids and uh, they grow up and then you evolve and you change. And then that's when Sting in the Tail came next. But I love that album. I'm really flattered to hear you say that, you know.
2: Oh, it's it's amazing, and uh, well, um, will will there be an hour or two? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why not? No, uh, and, and of course you had John Five on there, who uh, who lended a, a solo to, um, uh, well, the song Hour One, right?
4: Yeah, I think I think so, and then also you know we Billy Corrigan is on there from Smashing Pumpkins.
2: So an absolute pl- great album, and, and it's just, it's fantastic. Now, oh, thank you. In, in a non-interview phone call uh, about a year ago, you had talked to me about doing some kind of sports show or sports something. Um, is, is that something that, that is on still on the burner, that, that you might rear your head in, into the sports world, or was that just sort of one of these thoughts that, that sort of comes and goes and it didn't work out? Like, just talk to me about that real quick.
4: Uh, well, the people who approached me, um, it, it, you know, they say, Hey, would you be interested? I go, you kidding? I you know, I've got baseball on right now. I love baseball, you know, and I, I follow a few things. Um, but, uh, they did approach me we talked many times. And, uh, as you know, I don't, I have a studio, um, I'm partners with my friend and we were going to do it out of my studio. It was just, just like a mouth from my house, but it just never materialized. You know, uh, you know, you're, I'm on tour, and then we're this, and then that comes up, and then they had a change, and because their company had had it in, had it, has investors, and I I think some got messy, but you know it's still on the table. It's just
2: you know. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love I'd love to see it because, like uh, you, big sports fan. In fact. I'm even more crazy, whereas just before I got on the phone with you, I was watching KHL Russian hockey live from Finland. I mean, that's that's my,
0: <laughs> right? I was watching
2: the Jokerit. The I guess they're called Jokerit or whatever, and, and the Dynamo, Or right? I, I'm one of these crazy sports fans as well. Uh, James, always, always a pleasure. I, I do hope that the sports thing works out, and I'm very much looking forward to not only the Kingdom Come Tour, and hopefully we can get it, uh, a few more Canadian dates, especially maybe Heavy Montreal, like a festival date. And uh, right. hopefully new music, man. We, new music's always great. And if not, at least a live album. I don't know. I know you said you had some contractual things about maybe re-recording, but hopefully a live album is something that might show up. Uh, and...
4: Are you kidding? That's when the band sound, is, is it's at its best. I mean, and things I, I sound really good. Everything's coming together, getting tight and, uh, you know. And the vibe is great, you know, because again, like I said, I wouldn't do it if the vibe wasn't good. Yeah. So,
2: And Keith is a great video. singer. So, Keith is great. awesome,
4: And yeah. a really good, uh, he's a pleasure to be around. And we've, we've actually wanted him as the singer for wild horses.
3: Wow. Okay. Uh,
4: but I got voted down and that was, uh, that was 1991, I think. Yeah. And, uh, because he came over and just blew the doors off the place. We had so many great singers come kind of audition. But uh, you know, things happen and decisions are made and you have to cruise on. Mitch, keep on trucking.
2: Yeah, absolutely. All
4: right, man. I look forward to hopefully I can see you and I'll follow you on Twitter.
2: Absolutely. Well. And uh, and I'll just quickly throw in uh, two plugs for the Canadian part of me, but uh, October 11th Kingdom <coughs> Come is at St. Charles at the Arcada Theater with the Killer Dwarves. And then, a couple of days later, Versailles, Ohio, at the BMI Speedway, again with the yeah. Killer Dwarves. So, a little bit of Can- Canadiana in the Kingdom Come yeah, Tour. Yeah, I've
4: known, uh, uh, what's the drummer for Killer Dwarves? Dwayne? No. Daryl. Um, Daryl. Daryl Dwarf. I was close. Yes. Yeah, uh, we we did a, they were on a few tours, and uh, um, it was a long time ago, but anyway, great guy. And uh, I always liked their band, Um. Fun band, and, and then uh, well, that's that. And, and you can get all the dates at I think it's Kingdom Come Rock or Kingdom Come Band dot com. You know, if you search up, all the tour dates are there.
2: Yes, and all of right. course, and of course, you can go to Blabbermouth and all the other sites. Everybody's got them posted, and and it's going to be a fun tour. And uh, Merci, thank you so much. Always, always a pleasure.
4: Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Bonsoir. It's always a pleasure. Cheers. Good
2: day. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon, And a very big thank you to James Kotek. Always, always a pleasure to talk to James. Let us move over to our next guest who shares the same initials as James Kotek. It is, of course, Jim Kerr of the band Simple Minds. Their new album, Walk Between Worlds, was released earlier this year. And what I, was, what I find amazing about this band, Alan, is for many Americans... We think of Simple Minds as a band that had a hit on The Breakfast Club, whatever, 1980, whatever, and oh, they're gone. And yet you look at their production, 18 albums, Walk Between World is the 18th album, and their last four, going back to Graffiti Soul in 2009, have been top 20 albums in the uk graffiti soul was 10 big music 12 acoustic 16 and walk between worlds believe it or not reached number four and there are not a lot of 80s bands with the perhaps the exception of metallica where you could say hey you know what they're still getting top 20 out i mean it's it's remarkable and yet over here north america canada we sort of go oh yeah who and yet in europe still a big deal right i mean it's it's amazing
3: Well, yes, um, I think they were victim a little bit to shifting tastes in radio and being early 80s, um, and they might have been getting airplay on, for example, in LA on on KLOS and KMET and probably even KNAC then. um, Obviously, in the mid 80s, the heavier rock bands started to come out. I mean, you know, there were one or two I was involved with that got onto the radio as independent releases, which never ever happened back in the day. And obviously that was a part of the shift to, you know, the LA heavy metal scene. And I think they might've been a victim of that, but they've kept their global audience. And the fact that they're getting albums that are still charting now tells you that, you know, and I, th- I think his pronunciation, he's got a weird pronunciation. It's Ker rather than, or car, Rather than Kerr, um, and I probably I, I probably completely screwed up the pronunciation of his name, but um, he's obviously of a standard and obviously an interesting artist. And there are a couple of other things that I think indicate that he's probably a really interesting guy to talk to. Um, you may be aware of his marriages. One was to an actress called Patsy Kensit. Um, who was uh, the it girl in, in, in England in the 80s. Um, you know, and what band member hasn't chased an it girl at some time, but he was also married to the incredible, the phenomenal, the extraordinary Chrissy yep. She
2: Chrissy
3: She's Hynde, great, by the way.
2: Absolutely fantastic.
3: And if you're man enough to marry Chrissy Hind. Then you've got to have some intelligence, you've got to have some creativity, you've you've got to have
2: it. You, you've got to have yeah, it.
3: it. Exactly, thank you. Perfectly expressed.
2: Yeah. And by the way, just uh, real quick, since last week with Todd uh, Rundgren, I related it to Cheap Trick. Uh, Chrissy Hine did a song with Cheap Trick called Walk Away on their L- Busted album, I think it was. And it is absolutely a fantastic, fantastic track, one of their hidden gems. See, so whatever you're gonna do, I'm gonna relate it to Cheap Trick or Kiss at some point, just because that's what I do.
3: Well, (laughs) I did actually get to meet Chrissy once. Um, She was playing at the Wilson Theater in Los Angeles, and uh, I was invited to go to the show by her agent, Barbara Skydell. And um, Barbara and I, Barbara led on, and we, Went and sat down at some point and Chrissy came out to say hello to us and she was just wearing a pair of white knickers and a flimsy t-shirt and I have to confess my knees went to water
2: that's wonderful you see and that's perfect because I have just a product for you if that should ever happen again see, you ready for this Alan yeah, I'm
3: ready for it
2: Alan 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 <laughs> if you are Looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Then you got to get over to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. Check this out, Alan. They've got the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so they do work. And of course, since they are chewable, they work faster than a pill. In fact, if sex was an Olympic sport, Blue Chew would be banned. And of course, Blue Chew helps give you confidence in bed. You can take them anytime, day or night, on a full and or empty stomach, just in case. And this stuff is cheaper than those other two pills. So this is a no-brainer plus. You don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line, which is great because if Chrissy's standing right there, you just don't have time to get to a doctor because BlueChew of course ships straight to your door in discreet packaging and of course guys the deal is great for you if you visit bluechew.com right now and get your first shipment free when you use promo code rocktalk that's right use promo code rocktalk just pay 5 dollars shipping and again that's bluechew.com promo code talk. and of course um, you know who doesn't want to be an Olympian and uh, with that, here is the one, the only, Jim Kerr. We are speaking with Simple Minds singer Jim Kerr. The new album is Walk Between Worlds. They are, of course, on tour presently, coming to Montreal in September, or September 28th, more specifically. a Good day, Jim. A absolute pleasure to talk to you once again.
1: Thank you very much, yeah. And I can't tell you how much we are indeed looking forward to coming to Montreal. Really looking forward to, of course, get a lot of great memories going back. And our formative days, Montreal was one of the first places we got to play when we got outside of the UK. And um, yeah, always, always feels good. I know it's a fantastic town for music and uh, we'll be looking to be given nothing short of our very best
2: well, in fact, you know, let me start there. Before we get to the new studio album, you know, when I've when I've spoken to uh, members of the police or members or, or George Thorogood or, or or some of the heavy metal bands, they always talk about Montreal being this place where they get their start, and and it seems to be this theme that Montreal is sort of known for embracing newer bands that don't have a track history that are just sort of coming out of the box. Uh, talk to me about your first sort of North American experience, and, and what were some of the cities that embraced you first? Because, you know, what you were doing in 1979 it was certainly different than what you ended up doing, you know, in the mid-80s and, and now. Um, talk to me about those early days and being accepted and breaking out of the hometown.
1: Well, indeed, I mean, in terms of Montreal or in terms of Canada in general, we whereas we we. We had a record deal in the U.K., but we didn't have a record deal in the States until many years later. However, Mon- Canada, Montreal, Toronto, we got to play because we did have a record deal, deal there. So I don't know, the record labels, the heads of the record labels, the market, the taste, perhaps a bit more tuned in to the British, to the European in the case of Montreal. And perhaps that laid, you know, a ground for um, I don't know, a more curious, a more ahead of the pack, a more cutting edge than perhaps. And I guess it, it went down to the media as well, including radio, that would that would um, be a bit more adventurous, perhaps um, 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 than. Um, the way things were in the States back back then. So we um, grasped the opportunity when we first got invited to come and play. Of course, it was very small venues, uh, um, but nevertheless, it was tremendously exciting. And we were cutting our teeth. We were learning our trade. Um, As much as I say the venues may have been small I remember we always got a great reaction and that kind of encouragement that was a you know because we weren't having hits then or anything like it but that was the very oxygen you needed in terms of encouragement so um, we will always be grateful for that.
2: Yeah I can imagine now. Uh, what record, That which album was it that got the first U.S. deal? Because back in the day, and, and less so now because of the internet and YouTube, record companies used to do what we call sandboxing, where they would sort of say, UK band, we give you a UK deal. Canadian bands talk about this all the time, that they never had a Euro deal. Or, you know, you listen to Honeymoon Suite or Lawrence Gowan, who's with Sticks, and they always say, no, 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 we had Canadian deals. They They, they didn't want to bring us to these other markets. Which was the first time where the u s said, "Okay, this band 's got something let 's let 's sign them up and give it a shot
1: well, of course, the one thing the the the, the u s did have was the call whole college radio thing where where they they had a much more open attitude and 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 they actually they the last thing they wanted to do would be playing what the mainstream radio was playing so with the punk, with the new wave, with the first indie stuff coming, the the American colleges and the college radio were were, were playing stuff that meant you could get over and play. So probably with an album, it was our fourth album that particularly um, got picked up by a lot of the, the college kids. And that was an album called Sparkle in the Rain. Um Followed on by New Gold Dream. When I then we were doing an album a year almost, so they were the ones that started to get traction, which meant we could do longer tours, extended tours, not only through the states but all across Canada. By then, it wasn't just Montreal and 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 Toronto. There would be Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, Calgary, Alberta. Um, you know the whole garment, and 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 um, and again, that meant we could, in a way, stretch your legs, grow, play, because you know bands have to play. How are you going to get good if you don't play? And 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 you needed to be good as well. Um, so they they were the albums that kind of got that going, and indeed. In terms of the States, they were the albums that brought us to the attention of someone like John Hughes, who was starting to make those teenage movies of which eventually we worked on with one song. And then that kind of took us into the big league or to the attention of MTV, which had, was the new thing that had come up and in some ways became even more important than radio.
2: Right. And, and it's funny that you mentioned th- those movies because The Breakfast Club, and, I, and we'll get to that eventually here today. But, you know, there was MTV and videos were making a splash, but you actually got it more, I think, from the movie and the big screen. But but I, I before we get to that, I want to talk about the albums. Of course, uh, the new one, uh, Walk Between Worlds, which came out earlier this year, the band has never stopped making new music uh big music in 2014 absolutely brilliant there was the acoustic thing in 2016 and we go all the way back to life in a day at 79 talk to me about the importance for you creatively or even if or even financially to keep making new records because you you technically could go out there and do once upon a time the album concert tour and and never have to move forward in terms of artistic integrity and just play the same old same old forever and fans would probably buy the ticket and they'd still go why do black and white graffiti soul big music uh walk between worlds why not just pack it in and say "Eh, we'll do 10 songs greatest hits call it a day that's it easy
1: The reason for that, there's many reasons, but the first thing I'm thinking there, as you as you give me the options, and indeed, you know, many people mention those options, Um, but in fact, it wouldn't work because it would be diminishing returns. Because we would get bored very quickly, and we would feel we had calcified, and we would feel that we had become our own tribute band and we would feel that we were a little more than a museum piece. And if we felt all that, you would see it in our eyes and you would hear it in the sound. And you would say, yeah, I want to see that. And, yeah, it was all right. Whereas, first of all, since we've been kids, there's many reasons why we do this. But the first thing is, and it sounds so sort of affected, but we're creative people. I mean it's just the way it worked out I finished a tour last night um, um, our last date in Europe in the UK we finished in Dundee which is about an hour but two hour drive from where I live in Glasgow where I'm talking to you from now the time I got back was two, two in the morning it was a great night it was a great tour and there was a feeling of great you know we can put our feet up for a few days and then we we'll start thinking about beginning next week and Mexico, and uh, by 9 o'clock this morning, I'd woke up any, anyway, six, seven hours sleeps. six is enough for me, so I woke up, and I was so keen to listen to a piece of music that Charlie Burchell had given me three days ago, it was only like a minute and a half, little thing he was, little seed. he was working on. And before I know it, I was sitting with a cup of coffee, and two hours had passed by, and I'd written a lyric to it, and I'd changed the arrangement. And before I knew it, I was back at work. And and there was no one making me do that, except for the sheer, the moment was there. I had I'd cleared my head. Last night was already history. It was gone. And um, uh, that was work, but it wasn't work. It's what I. It's what we do. And therefore, the answer to your question, rather long-windedly, is this is what we do. We see the world through making music, writing music, and playing music. That's the only way we can make sense of this world. It's how it was. It's how it still is.
2: Has there been times over the years, though, where it wasn't that, where you, you, you looked at everything and just said, it's not worth it? I just and and also I'm going to add another part to that question do you see the world in other sort of mediums like through paint or through photography or through an other artistic endeavor or is it really just your brain is connected to writing songs performing songs and you know
1: well the first the answer the first part of of this, yes, there has been periods where it wasn't so much where we didn't think it was worthwhile. There's been periods where we got bored of ourselves. There's periods where, you know, you're not always on. There is periods where life takes over in other ways, and sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's not so good. Your energy gets taken one way or dissipated, or, or you just kind of the periods where, you know, it's not always harvest time. Sometimes it's like getting blood out of a stone. Sometimes you think it's gone. It's never coming back. Sometimes you don't want to go through what's required because what is required is to do it really well. You've got to sort of make it the most important thing in your life. You can say, okay, well, that's quite admirable. Might be, but to do that means you have to be incredibly selfish and that makes it hard on everyone else. So, But these are all things you gotta find that you gotta grow into and find how to deal with it because you gotta make it your life but you also gotta have a life outside of it. So, no, like like life, there's periods where it's gone swimmingly well and it's all great and then there's other periods where you think, Jesus, what is this? Um, So that's how that's gone, that's how it went. The last few years, it's been harvest and long may it long may it uh, continue I forget what the second part of the question was
2: no worries I'll, I'll remind you real quick do you have an other creative outlet for for the thoughts in your head I mean do, do you do photography or painting or, or sculpting I mean you know is there another creative outlet or has, has it always just been music well I, I I
1: write every day. I write something every day. I write. I I think they will lead up to something. I've I've. I like stories. I like. Uh, I've never published in that sense or anything. But I I usually get the day. I usually get my brain going uh, during uh, every day by writing writing a little piece of. It could be anything. A thought. Something I saw. Uh, uh, an incident. I I. I sort of record things, um, I guess some sort of diary, but but somehow not quite tied down to just being a diary. So the answer is I enjoy writing.
2: So um, hopefully someday there'll be a collection of your writings. Now, uh, just real quick, you, you, you have stuck with Simple Minds from the the very, very beginning, but there was that time in 2010 where Lost Boy, a.k.a. Jim Kerr, the solo album came out, Um talk to me about that moment and what you were trying to say that couldn't be said in simple minds and you know why not after 85 or 86 do a solo career do like phil collins do like one why sort of wait till 2010 and not really venture into the solo area
1: it's a very simple reason very practical reason and my partner uh songwriter guitar player charlie burchell he had kids a lot later than me, and we we had finished a tour, we'd finished an album. I was buoyant, full of energy, didn't want to sit back. But Charlie's kids were young, and he wanted to give them some of his time and attention, and so uh, that was the right thing to do. But we were a little out of we were out of sync in terms of our needs. But I completely understood, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll um, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll still keep the creative muscles going, and so that's what I did.
2: And, and now, is that something that you want to do again, and and sort of have this other voice outside the band, or was it, you know what, I got it out of my system? There is only one brand; it's Simple Minds, and I'm going to stick to that.
1: Well, I, I do. I mean. You know, I'm blessed to have this thing, and it's uh, I I I love. Some of mine has been a crusade through our lives. It still is. A, it's its little crusade. It's ours. But but um but yeah. I mean, if the same thing turned up again, then if there was a window, if there was a period of, if because there is still a lot of music, and I enjoy. I enjoy working with other people too because you you know you get their energy and you learn a few tricks and and um, I like I was amazed even recently because you know Charlie's a bit less of a collaborator than me he's a little less social than than me um, unless you're in a bar then he's everybody's buddy but but uh, uh, um, he finds it. It's not, the way music's made now, and I say this kind of unfortunately we regress, it's not like the old days where you got together and you jammed in and played, you know. Everyone's got their set up and it's hard to move the set up around, it seems. So I find in general, the idea to be able to, to open a door and collaborate is is a skill in itself. Some you either have it or you don't, and I think I I have it, and and um, so I wouldn't be surprised if some um, extra stuff gets done in the future.
2: Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, just real quick here with the current tour, you are using Sharice uh, Osei as the drummer. Talk to me about bringing her into the band. You know she's of course done stuff with Brian Ferry. Just absolute delightful to watch on stage uh just talk to me about bringing her into the band
1: well, what happened was you know you mentioned Ella we we a couple of years ago we decided to quit prevaricating and do this acoustic record that had been in the air for a long time um and we had to work out a way to do it uh, because we You know, we we didn't want a bongos on the beach version of Simple Minds. We didn't. We we still wanted it to to be powerful in its way. We still wanted it to be atmospheric. We still wanted it to be lots of stuff. But the one thing we knew that Mel Gaynor, who traditionally Simple Minds have used for a long, long time, and is a great drummer, Mel would just be too heavy for it. You know, it was just too heavy, because by the very nature, you needed a lighter approach. So. We contacted Cherise, who we had seen and thought was amazing, because we had seen her play percussion, and we thought, well, we'll use, we'll see if Cherise will come down and we'll play percussion. And it was one of those things being around her, her energy, her enthusiasm, her young sensibility, um, it, it refreshed everything. And when it came to drum time again, you know, she was, she was incredible what she brought and And, um, when you make changes, my several minds are, we, we like to think of ourselves as a family, knowing fine well that families are not all sweetness and light. Sometimes you have your distances. Sometimes you come together. Sometimes you don't see each other for years. Sometimes it's like, you know, Everything's happy families again. Changes can be be painful, but what we need, the biggest, we feel the biggest threat to ourselves, our career, is autopilot. And you got to bring in someone else that's willing to uh, uh, um, kick things up into the air, change things around, bring in excitement. And so... We have various lineups, and we call—we've got a pool of people. It's almost like a theatrical troupe in a way, where you, depending on the play, you use different actors.
2: Which makes sense, and, and she does—she does a great job, and of course, um, phenomenal, phenomenal job. so, so let's quickly then talk about family. Uh, we did mention Charlie real quick. He has been there since the the, the inception, the very first day. Um, Talk to me about him as a, a friend and a person, and and a business partner. Because it's not just a band member. I mean, I'm sure you've had your fights and your disagreements. I mean, who hasn't since 1977 with somebody in their life? But there has got to be something unique and special about that relationship. And does Simple Minds continue if someday he decides to step away? I mean, it really has to sort of be you too. You're you're the heart and soul of the band, correct?
1: Oh, no doubt about that. Uh, it's I mean, you say the word unique, and certainly within our lives, it's been a unique story, it's been a unique relationship. We met in the street when we were eight years old, I remember the day clearly, because I had just moved into the street. Charlie's family had already been there a few years, and, and they were still building. It was new buildings, they were still building the street we were in. So uh, we were moving in, you know, the furniture and all this, and my mom said, G- you go out and play while we get the place organized. I was eight. My brother was six. And we went into the street, and, the, you know, there was cement and sand and all that stuff around, and there was a few kids playing on this mound of sand. Um, one of the kids was Charlie, and we hit it off straight away. And, um, I mean, we were we weren't direct close best friends, we were just part of the pack. But as we went to school and as we got to the age of 12 and 13 and everyone started listening to music, I still remember the day Charlie got his first guitar because it was a big deal and he, we went over to see it and all that and and um, and then his passion for music, um, really accelerated and and grew. He had a voracious um, desire to know everything about all manner of music and who made it and where it was made and who produced it and all that. And the only other kid that was that much into it was me. Um, and so we became, you know, very much joined at the hip with our enthusiasm. And then mm, that grew into him playing stuff and me writing words and uh that's been at the core of the band
2: ever since yeah and it's been quite successful now uh, all right let me me deal with the, the question that you've probably heard a million times and are probably sick of hearing about but of course don't you forget about me and the breakfast club but let's see if we can somehow approach it differently um Talk to me about getting a song in a movie soundtrack, what that process was like for you. We know the story that the song had been offered to other people as well. Was there a sort of audition process or, or, you know, demo sending in process where they picked the best version of it? And and talk to me about really that importance of having it in there for the band and career.
1: Um, Well, I mean, the idea, the very, the reality that Don't You Forget About Me as recorded by Simple Minds and the sort of theme anthem of the Breakfast Club movie. The the actuality of it is so unlikely because there was a catalogue of events that made it seem like it shouldn't happen and would never happen. The first thing being, and I mean, I still think, I hear these stuff, but I... I think the jury is out. Other people may have been offered it, but I think they were offered it because Simple mice took so long to commit to it, because we really did. And the reason we took so long to commit to it was um, the very fact you mentioned. The, you know we, we Basically, we were getting success everywhere. The States still hadn't happened, and we weren't sure. The record company hadn't quite put the muscle behind Simple Minds the way they had other places. And we were thinking, well, maybe that's the way it's gonna be. And then um, the thing that record companies never say, they came and they said, listen, we made a mistake with the last record. There is an audience for you here. We're gonna get behind your next thing because we believe in the band. And we were kind of like, yeah, yeah. And, um, And they went, so what's the plan? And we said, well, you know, we've got nothing coming for a year or so because we just finished a tour and we got... And they said, well, there's a buzz just now. The colleges are there and blah, blah, blah. And it'd be great to have something from you. And we said, well, we don't have anything yet. We're working on stuff that sounds good, but it's not there. And they said, ah, well, we've got something that'll work in the interim. And they introduced, they spoke about the movie, they spoke about John Hughes, who had done all these movies prior, which we knew nothing about. So not knowing about it, we weren't that impressed. But, you know, this great enthusiasm and all this stuff. And then as they were explaining us, we want you involved in this movie and it's going to be great and da-da-da. And you'll love the song we've got for you to do. And we went, hang on a minute. We don't do other people's songs. And they said, well, there's a different because this song sounds like you. That made it even worse. We said hang on no 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 we we don't do other people's songs um, we've got our, we're working on our own songs and da, da, da. so they said well look let us send you the movie anyway they sent us a rough cut of the movie you know it wasn't the Godfather uh, um, uh, so we were we were bradish we were precious we were nervous and the demo they sent don't get me wrong it sounded pretty good but it didn't, you know, it wasn't better than what we were doing, and also the lyrics and all that weren't the kind of thing I would say, but it had been written for the song, and we were like, no, 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 I don't think so. Um, And that's the way it was for about three months, until what made us do it in the end was meeting not only John, but meeting Keith Forsey, who co-wrote and produced And he was such an enthusiast, such great guys. It just made us, you know, he was like, let's just give it an afternoon, see what happens. If if it doesn't work, you've got the record company off your back. And that was pretty much the attitude. But we went in and um, we gave it our sound, we gave it our spirit, we came up with the arrangement, we came up with the whole ending thing. We turned it into a simple main song. And by the end of it, we were thinking... Yeah, this this you know this has got something, but uh, but obviously no one could foresee what
2: was to unfold. Yeah, no, of course not. And uh, just quickly, uh, let me remind folks that the band, of course, is on tour right now. The new album is Walk Between Worlds. And I'll just finish with this on on the whole idea of soundtracks. How important were were soundtracks so when you look back to the '80s? And I, of course, lived through them. You think of Berlin and Take My Breath Away. You think of you know Huey Lewis, The Power of Love. There seems to have been A particular skill set to write for movies and have it become some of the most memorable songs for bands was there a pressure from management or from within the band to say hey we need to get on a soundtrack and were soundtracks seen as a commercial you know viable path to to getting to that next level
1: Oh, without a doubt. Um, I mean, the key thing really was, you're right, you know, so you've got the record and you've got, it all worked together for the marketeers because think about it, the thing in the center of it all was MTV because if you had the video referencing the movie and the song referencing the movie and if the movie itself, you know, as long as the song had to be great or it had to be, to scratch, the the video had to be up up to scratch the film had to be up to scratch and if M- MTV, if all that was there MTV would go we're in if you also advertise the movie <laughs> on MTV so you know, between it all that then be, and you got to think of the power of MTV then now, if you M MTV and radio and the movie and all that um, then you know there was some serious combustion there.
2: Yeah, there was, and of course I know sometimes fans complain about commercialism getting into music, and but you know what? You look at some of those songs, the ones I listed, the the "Don't You Forget About Me." and, Hey, it worked, and 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 here we are, thirty five years later, still going. Yeah, those were some pretty damn good songs.
1: <laughs> What's funny? It was one one I was playing in my dressing room last night. I, I I think it's called, um, it was some Miami Vice soundtrack, the instrumental Axel Steam or something. It's yeah. a beautiful tune, man. It's such a beautiful tune. And, you know, I mean, you can't get more commercial than Miami Vice or whatever, but you know, what a great piece of music.
2: Yeah, it really yeah. is. And uh, I will I will finish with this today as we reach our half hour. I was told that... If you speak to Jim, you have to ask him about living next to an active volcano down in Sicily. So I go, okay, (laughs) let me ask you about that. So you live next to an active volcano, and at any moment, it could just, off it goes.
1: Well, I was there last week for four or five days. I had a bit of a break in between gigs, and I just missed its latest. Um, It was spewing up some wonderful lava. Uh, um, the previous week, so yeah, probably two or three times a year, uh, you get the lava trails. What is amazing is in winter, because of the altitude, the the Mount Etna is snow capped, so you get snow and fire. That's something to see.
2: That sounds great, actually. Uh, yeah. Jim- Absolute pleasure. I'm glad we've had a chance to do this uh, twice this year and uh, very much looking forward to the show. And, of course, Walk Between Worlds. I got a copy back in February. Fabulous album. The band hasn't lost anything. Still a a musical force. And so uh, absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: Oh, My pleasure. Let everyone know how much we're looking forward to coming to Montreal. As I said earlier, we're going to give our best.
2: Thank you, sir. Avec plaisir. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. And a big thank you to Jim Kerr. That was, in fact, my second chat with him this year. It's amazing. I had, you know, some of these guys that I grew up listening to, watching, whether it was actively or passively. And I mean, you know, Kiss actively, I would go buy albums and stuff. Simple Minds, I didn't. But when they were on MTV or much music up here in Canada or on the radio, Listen, you can't deny that those songs were good. So as a passive listener, I'd sit back and go, yeah. And it's just nice to, to, as we get older, to, to sit back and talk to all these people that affected your life somewhere. Anyway, it was just nice to talk to him once back in February and then twice here in, in September. So uh, great to speak with Jim. Another guy that falls in that category is Amit Zappa. And I had a chance to talk to him. About the upcoming Frank Zappa hologram tour that they are putting together with I Illusion, and so, Alan, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this with you. Are Are you in favor of these hologram tours or not? And and before I I have your comment, I'm just gonna set up where I stand on that. When you're looking at a guy like Ronnie James Dio, and if you sell it properly, and you market it uh, genuinely. I'm all for it because, you know, we know Ronnie's passed away. We're never going to get a chance to experience him again live. And it's fine. We say, listen, we're going to have a celebration of his music. I'm all for it. And, and and as a ticket buyer, if you're not interested or you think it's a bad, then don't go. But for the rest of us, let us enjoy it. Uh, I think the problem comes in is if you have a band like Kiss or Cheap Trick or Guns N' Roses, and, you know, he says, hey, they're coming to Las Vegas, and then you go there, and it's, it's a an hologram thing, and you go, so as long as it's marketed uh, genuinely, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I mean, uh, you know, fun is fun, and why, why can't we just go have fun? Um, so so, so what it's, what's your sort of take on this? Is it a shameless cash-in, or is fun fun?
3: I'll, t- I'll tell you where I come from on this. If I go to a gig, I want to connect to the flesh and the blood But most importantly, I want to connect to the soul and the spirit. And that's what was so cool for me um, seeing Russell on stage this week, was that sense of his heart and his soul that came across, his determination to really bring on a good performance. Um, And that's what I look for. But what I, for years and years ago, when these things started to be whispered about, What I thought would be really cool was if instead of having a Blu-ray or a CD, that you had a little player and you could put a a disc in and you could have a miniature gig on your coffee table.
2: That would be be spectacular. That
3: is something that I would rush out and buy the equipment and I would start collecting tapes like, like, like crazy, you know, like back in the day when I started buying well, like, records.
2: Like in Star Wars the, when Princess Leia would appear or, exactly. or, or Obi-Wan Kenobi or whoever would appear. I, you know, that that would be great.
3: If, if I could have the Rolling Stones on my coffee table play for a couple of hours, I'd be really thrilled with that.
2: Do you think that we can actually get there? Because, listen, when you look back yes. historically, yeah, right, because... When we look at VCRs and portable cameras and computers back in the 70s, everything was the size of a truck. And now I've got more computing power on my cell phone in my back pocket than I, right? The NASA had in their rooms back. So I guess now you have you, you, the right.
3: You've got more computing power in the average car on the road than they had in the space shuttle. Right, and they never corrected it in the space shuttle. Never upgraded because it worked, and they didn't want to touch something that worked. But I have no doubt in my mind that at some time in the future, they will find a way to be able to sell you hologram gigs, and that to me would be fabulous. You know, you just clean off the dining table, and there's free. Of- yes, please. I'm in for that.
2: Oh, that would be that would be spectacular, and. And you look at a band, for example, like Kiss. You could have different eras where there they are in '74 and there they are in '77 with the different costumes and the different stage. I think that would be spectacular, and, and I do think people would would buy into that, quite frankly. But uh, you know, it, it, we're we're getting there. But uh, yes. But as far as as, I, I... as go ahead.
3: I was going to say, and you know, once once they've got it going, they could m- make it slightly interactive, so as so that you could, you know, heckle from the stage, from from the audience, sitting in the sofa, and
2: or join and the, the band,
3: ho- or the little hologram will turn around and, and tell you where to go, um,
2: or or I, turn I around and be you. Can you imagine if you you get to play and kiss for for 20 minutes on your coffee absolutely. table?
3: Absolutely brilliant idea by the way we should be writing this down and um making sure that the ideas aren't stolen without us getting credit but that's a brilliant idea yeah that, would um, be great. that you that, that you can become one of the band members and watch yourself
2: that would that, that would be funny now play
3: with pink floyd now, awesome let,
2: that let, let me just quickly get here to, to frank zappa himself of course in september of 84, 85, they went out and he and Dee Schneider and Elton, not Elton John, uh, John Denver went in front of Senate committee to, to do this PMRC stuff. For you, as a manager back then, that whole PMRC discussion must have been just wonderful because you know that as soon as they put a sticker that says this has the word F-U-C-K on it, you know that your sales are going to bump up 20%. So you must have loved tipper gore
3: uh i had appreciations for her her position and was appreciative of the influence it might have on the sales of records um if you recall there was a, an album called appetite for destruction that had a certain amount
2: of uh, i've heard of that album by it. the way yeah i've, I've heard of it
3: it's, yeah that had a certain amount of vernacular in it and you know Over the years, I've been asked about it, and I said, no, it seemed appropriate within the context. It was not a gratuitous thing. Um, We didn't do it just for effect. It just seemed like the right word at the right time. Um, So when Tipper got got on a high horse, yeah, I thought, well, thank you. This helps. Um, And it did.
2: Were there marketing discussions at record companies and between management about how do we get a sticker on this or even if you didn't swear just throw the sticker on there anyway because it looks cool
3: oh i'm sure that happened eventually you know once somebody sees something might stimulate a little bit more interest or the potential of you know a few more records sold you know the marketing department is going to be all for it um but
2: i mean a classic backfire just a classic backfire to the PMRC and their misguided agenda. It it was, it was beautiful to see that.
3: Yeah. And the irony was you've got Frank Zappa sitting there and,
2: and Dee Schneider and John Denver.
3: Yeah. If, if, if I were going to introduce somebody to Frank Zappa, I would suggest that they find an album called shut up and play your guitar which is just him playing guitar. And it's it's an amazing record. He was a tremendous guitar player. So it's kind of ironic that somebody who may be their greatest recording had no vocals on it, was sitting there discussing vocals with the PMRC. Um, but Frank was a very interesting guy all the way around. He was very anti-drug. Uh, he threw little feet off his label because of the song Willing. Um, He took a dim view of Alice Cooper, who was on his label because of what he thought they represented in terms of of drugs and and, and alcohol. Um, An unusual personality, to put it mildly, was Frank Zappa.
2: Yeah, and and we'll see how it translates into this sort of, well, it's it's not 3D, I guess, it's a hologram. And I'm not a technician. I, I'm assuming that hologram and 3D aren't exactly the same technology. And of course, I know fans will write in and say, Oh, Mitch, you're so stupid. You don't listen. I, I do rock, I don't do holograms and, and math. And so, but without further ado, here is the one, the only Amet Zappa to tell you all about this great concert experience that's going to be coming up. Here is Amit. We are speaking with iIllusions, Jeff Pizzuti, and. I'm at Zappa. The new tour, The Bizarre World of Frank Zappa is coming to uh, theaters and arenas, I guess, soon. Um, good day, gentlemen. How are you? How are you doing, good. Mitch? Good. Doing great. Thanks for, thanks, for, thanks for having us. Yeah, so just so that the audience knows here, let me just say hi to Jeff first so they can get a, a quick check on his voice. Jeff, uh, a great pleasure to talk to you. I last met you at the uh, Rock Carnival in New Jersey, and it's nice to have you on uh, today. <laughs>
0: That's great. You know, I I remember that meeting and uh, look.
2: You know, we're really looking forward to the chat and
0: and the update and and all future stuff with you guys in the future.
2: Yeah, and talking about Dio and all that wonderful stuff. And Ahmed, it is the hey. first time we've spoken, and just an absolute thrill because uh, you know I'm in Montreal, and I know Frank had a great affinity for Quebec, for Montreal, for this part of the world. And it's just nice to talk to somebody from the Zappa, I guess, clan for the lack of a better word, but just the Zappa family. Uh, so just a great pleasure.
5: Well, I feel the same way about talking with you. Always nice to meet, uh, you know, music, appreci- you know, uh, people who appreciate music. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're a fan of my father's, then, then you know, that makes me feel good because, yeah, you know, he's my dad, man, you know. <laughs> right. You know.
2: Yeah, so so let's. Uh, I'll throw out the question uh, generally to both of you, but uh, talk to me about this bizarre world of Frank Zappa Hologram Tour and, and, and some of the challenges also of putting together a tour, because, you know, venues and configurations are different from building to building. Wouldn't this just be simpler to throw like in Vegas and, 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 and make it a residency? Uh, so, so talk to me about the tour, and then we'll start talking about some of the complications. I'll go to you, Jeff, for, first. Um, who approached who, Jeff, to get this going?
0: Uh, so I reached out to Amit, um, literally, I want to say it was about a year and a half ago. Just, just, just the excitement of doing something with Frank and, and the ability to do something, and which is really why we hit it off, do something unique. No, to do something that was so in in the Zappa world, to make his fans and and uh, you know the, the lovers of his music understand that we're not coming at it from this you know the very black and white approach. We wanted to come at this as as if Frank could, you know, as if, as if the lyrics were coming to life. So of the songs. So when we first started talking and realizing that you know, I guess that we had that element in common, it kind of just you know took took you know took off from there
5: and um it's been exciting
2: yeah and and you know, i go ahead sorry I was going to jump in there yeah, the, yeah.
5: The, the thing that people should know is that you know Frank was always interested in holograms and actually wanted to start his own hologram business he he even writes about it in his uh in his book the real frank Zappa book chapter i want to say 18 uh you know you you can you know, read about it in greater detail. But the thing that was appealing to him um, was the ability to, for him to be able to stay home, um, keep working on music, uh, you know, make this, this incredible visual experience, this handmade experience that would allow him to have a tour where, you know, let's say he was in a on a soundstage playing and then that show could, show up around the world, you know, or just kind of have this, again, this, this tourable hologram show. So this is years and years and years ago that Frank was thinking about this, right? So from a family perspective, you know, the, the thing that's exciting to me is, um, really kind of putting together, uh, ideas that Frank had and, you know, accomplishing something that didn't, that he didn't. Uh, achieve in his own lifetime, right? Because he was always someone that was sharing, uh, you know, technological advancements with me, you know, always engaging me in conversation around the latest and greatest in, you know, audio technology, visual technology. He was, he was a filmmaker. He was, you know, he did so many things, you know, my father. So that, that my father did that inspired me so that when Jeff and I actually met, you know, what was kind of paramount was, can we get on the same page in a way that would honor um, Frank, that the show would feel like something very handmade that, you know, took advantage of the stories that my father uh, sings about, you know, the way that, how how do we visualize his compositions in a totally dynamic way? And at the same time, it's not trying to just be a Zappa concert. It's, it's an experience, right? So, you know, when you start to talk about what that actually means, you know, and you look at the history of Frank as a filmmaker and trying to visualize some of his own music. If you look at even the film that he made, the amazing Mr. Bickford, you know, like those things are jumping off points from a creative standpoint that we had to look at, you know, to, to influence some of the decisions that we made, you know, based off, off of the history of Frank's body of work that uh, that we, you know, it's, you have to consider how do you make something that's totally authentic um, and how can we push present-day technology? Because uh, I think Frank was always at the cutting edge. How do we do something that um, really feels... Uh, that encompasses the spirit of my father's music. And I like to think if he was alive today, what kind of decisions and choices would he have made um, from a, from a show experience? How would he want the fans to be able to, uh, you know, interact or or experience an evening of his music? So, so much love and, and attention to detail has gone into um, just from like, okay, what's possible? How can we push ourselves to do better? You know, it's, it's, it's a, it is a totally creative process um, to, to constantly, you know, reiterate on the visuals and okay, what's the message in the song and, 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 and so, you know, the show where, where we're at right now, I mean, I couldn't be more happy with the journey that I've, that I've gone on with ILusion and, and how, you know, similar we think in terms of, you know, uh, how do we bring an experience that can accommodate different venue sizes? I mean, there's so much that goes into what we're doing. Um, The mind sort of boggles. So I I don't want to keep going on and on and on. If you ask me specific questions, I will happily answer kind of anything (laughs) that that you want to know, but like it really has been an amazing journey um, to, to, you know, we're getting very, very close to this show, you know, the world being able to see what we've been putting all of our heart efforts into. It.
2: Yeah, and and I look yeah, forward what the, to it. And, and, you know, when you look at some of the other ones out there, Roy Orbison and uh, Tupac and Dio and stuff, you go, okay, that's great. But when you think of this Frank Zappa one, you go, you know what? He really would have wanted this. And that's, that's what I find sp- particularly unique to this experience is that, this is something that even if he was alive today, he would probably send it out there anyway because he, 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 like you said, was an avant-garde guy. who forward-thinking all the time. Um, just quickly in terms of what can fans expect? When you look at the Dio um, hologram tour, there was a live band and a live singer that came out and did part of the songs and then the, the, the hologram – is this all Frank Hologram with these guys playing behind it? Is there going to be another singing, singer to do some of the songs? How is it going to be sort of presented? And uh, I guess I'll start off with Jeff and then we'll go with it to uh, Emmett. Sure. So, I mean, the way the show
0: is being designed is, 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 is definitely different than Dio. The fact is, you know, yes, Frank's the Hologram, I use that in quotes, uh, will be on stage the entire show. Um, but the difference is that you know, there's there's different versions of Frank. So it's not like the real life Frank all the time. So, And I'll let Amit go into detail about what that's about. But the idea was to create, you know, like I said, we're using this bizarre world to really create the bizarre world, you know, to make
5: this well, world come alive. <laughs> well, the, 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 thing, the thing about Frank is uh, he, he didn't necessarily sing every song, too. So a mm. lot of the people that are on the road with Frank, like, like Ray yeah these these are his ex band members and and they're 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 performing in the way that they performed you know with Frank so you know lots of people sang Frank songs you know sometimes Frank would just play the guitar, the guitar solos so you know the examples that you've used with Dio uh, it's not uh, it's not necessarily a one to one comparison in terms of the style of the show so i think it's a pretty well rounded you know, if you just look at it for face value from a Zappa concert experience, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll, we have all those elements, but it's it's so much more that we're doing because we're anthropomorphizing each song. So, you know, if, as an example, which I've talked about, you know, from a technology standpoint, you know, you, you it's... Yes, we have Frank in a in a photo real version as if he's back on stage playing with his you know uh, favorite you know band members to play with, but the magic is that he doesn't have to be you know his normal six two right he could be eight feet tall, so when you start thinking of it from that perspective of okay well what what can we do to make a bigger Crazier experience that's complementary to the music. That's when the fun really starts to happen. When you when you say, "All right, what what does um you know, you know Billy the Mountain look like?" If Billy the Mountain was one of my dad's songs, it's it's not in the show, but I'll use it as an example right. because people that are familiar with that track can understand. You know, or or, or Thingfish, right? So any right. of these characters my dad's created, um, and there's and recorded that music, right? We could have our own version of Thinkfish that could be, you know, uh, uh, three feet tall, uh, you know, seven hundred pounds. Uh, you know, it starts <laughs> to just mess with, you know, what your uh, the, the reality of of the situation because we we don't we no longer have the physical limitations, you know, and we can play with where the cameras are. And what can actually be on the stage if we, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not saying we're doing this. If we wanted to have, you know, a herd of elephants photo reel on the stage doing a stampede. That's possible holographically now. And uh, obviously, you know, it, it would not be possible in a, a 3000, you know, yeah
2: venue to have a bunch we of don't other- have the insurance no. to
0: cover that we don't have the insurance.
2: That. <laughs> but that but that's what makes the hologram tour exciting It's that you're not just going to get four or five guys standing on a stage like you would with a regular live performance there is this ability to bring in all kinds of visual effects and sort of to use the analogy make it more star wars than just four guys standing right. there and that and that's exceptionally exciting um Let me talk to you about some of the players that are going to be involved. Uh, Two of the bigger names, or at least to me, are Steve Vai and Warren Cucarulo. I always had a hard time with his name, who spent a lot of years with Duran Duran. And by the way, if you want to set up an interview with him, I'm ready, willing, and able. Um, But talk to me about those players and having them uh, as part of this. I mean, the the
5: whole approach was, you know, I I reached out to people that played with Frank and... uh, you know, people have different commitments at different times. So, you know, specifically with Warren and, and Steve, um, you know, they're very, they're very passionate about Frank. I mean, I think they're pretty vocal about their, you know, in some cases, I don't want to put words in Steve's mouth, but he was like a father figure. You know, it's a really heartwarming, you know, when, you know, my dad's passed and they have these great stories. So to, to, ask some of these players, it's, it's like asking extended family, really, do you guys want to kind of do something special for Frank? Um, so, you know, like, I, I mean, we will have people coming on and off the tour. Um, and certainly the core band is all people that you know, played with Frank, um, and, and, and finding the, the best, like sort of, um, uh, moments, because not everyone they have other commitments too uh, can show up every night. So the, the the best feeling was the overwhelming support from everyone and the enthusiasm. And you know when I when I show them the visuals and and what we're planning on doing, uh, I, the laughter that we have. <laughs> the, yeah. You know it's it it really it's, has been. It's crazy. It's it really makes it worth it. Honestly,
0: Mitch, because you know obviously we put a ton of work into this and we're we literally believe, and we know actually beyond belief, no we're setting the bar with the, with a show like this because of what is gonna happen on that stage. but the idea is you know when the band is so endorsing of the show and so excited about going on the road, it just makes us you know even happier knowing that, hey, we've accomplished the goals that we set out for ourselves, like literally to recreate the the basic concert experience like to make it something that has never happened and turn it
5: into the future. I sometimes have to kind of pinch myself, uh, and, and really try to hold back the, the tears. I get a little weepy (laughs) because, you know, people, I think people will have, I hope have the same kind of reaction that I'm having. I mean, there is this element of, um, you know, with the materials that we're bringing to life, uh, and and having to go into the vault um, and even curate the music because keep in mind this show is uh, performances that no one's ever heard uh, of of Frank playing guitar his vocals totally unique for that experience it's it's the basis for you know at least the first the first version of this tour um, a lot of the 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 audio comes from. A rehearsal that Frank had. We internally call it the premore shoot because that's the production company that my father hired to kind of capture the moments, right? So in the in the seventies, my uh, you know my dad had his rehearsal facility and he did a multi camera shoot and we have all the multi tracks for the audio and recorded hours and hours of these amazing performances. So you know we for, just from a musical standpoint, uh, the audience are going to hear. Songs that they know and love, but played, um, you know, versions that they've never heard, stylistically, you know, played in in, in the style of that night, you know, uh, from Frank's perspective, if that makes sense. We're also um, working on debuting songs people haven't ever heard before that, you know, are are new new material. So we're, we're, there's so many things that are going into the show that are, are exciting, uh, certainly for us. But I think we're going to be really make people go bananas, uh, you know, when they when when they come to, come to the show. If you're a Zappa fan, you're going to see a lot of the, your favorite songs. You're going to see and hear new material, um, and you know, you're also. I mean, you're going to experience some visuals that are going to make you laugh and blow your mind. You know, it's very much in keeping with my father's very sort of handmade, um, you know, the cheaper, the better, uh, you know, experience. And it it really is. uh, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for me to contextualize it because we have so much material. So like a lot of the things are like his handwritten You know, illustrations, like for Frank, every step of the way um, was, okay, is there something that Frank made that fits, you know, this song? Is there something that Frank made that no one's ever seen that it was actually made for the song? And and so we, that's been the archaeological journey, which has been fantastic and emotional and all of, and it's so many emotions. and, And that's what we've been doing to kind of make the perfect show, to synthesize um, and to, you know, to show the audience things that, again, they've never seen before.
2: I can't so, I mean, We have
5: thousands, thousands of photos, thousands of video references, you know, all of this stuff that um, was actually never, it's always been in our vaults, but it, a lot of my work since my mother's passed away was making sure that we knew what was on those tapes, right? So that, that, I can't stress that enough. It just sat there, and, and you know, I didn't know. I, I mean, I, I wasn't involved with the family business. So to even be able to get to this uh, point, to be able to do a show, you have to know what's even there. And the craziest part is there's so much, and so it's all so good, that I really think fans are going to go...
2: They're going to dig this. Banana fish. Yeah. So yeah. Me, I don't know if we can curse of this. That's why... That's yeah, why yeah you can. Bananas. But 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 <laughs> let me ask you about, about this. Is this sort of one show that you see going on for the next five or ten years, or is this the first of many different shows, whereas in two years from now, we will see another Frank Zappa hologram tour, but with a different configuration, maybe different players, different songs, different effects. How do you sort of see I this moving? Like, yeah,
0: I was going to say, I think it's a combination of the two. I think that this is, you know, we, we've already planned out the next few years. So it's, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three. And obviously adding content and new songs and new material as we are going along. So changing the, the visuals, changing the songs, creating new experiences. Because, you know, nobody, if you're taking the dead as an example, nobody wants to see the same show twice. So the idea was, let's, cause that was kind of Frank coach when he was performing live never playing the song the same way two times. You know, it's like literally like that kind of philosophy and actually taking that and, and making it into, hey, this is round one, this is round two, this is round three. So we actually have new shows that can go out. It's like with any band, when they, when they go out on the road for a brand new tour, they're either adding new content or new songs or they're, you know, changing the set list up a little bit. That's the approach, you know?
5: And I, I, we, we would just hope that the fan reaction... Um, allows for us to, you know, continue, you know, I mean, I I would I'd like to think that, uh, you know, people, people, you know, would be receptive and we could keep going.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think they will be. And, and speaking personally, I look very much forward to seeing this show. I hope that eventually the Dio returns, gets to uh, to Montreal or at least somewhere where closer to me. And of course, as a Kiss fan, yeah, see, I'd love to. And of course, as a Kiss fan, that that would have to be the project in the next four or five years for me to walk your way through the the history of Kiss. That would be great too. Uh, gentlemen, absolute pleasure to talk to you today. And. You know, listen, I support this, and I know that, especially on the D.O. stuff, there were some fans that took the internet and said, oh, you know what? Go enjoy, and if you don't want to go, just shut up about it, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Well, you know,
0: our whole thing is we really want people to come, and we want yes, people to really course. experience. Each one's going to be different, and i got to make a side note to this. Bitch, when you see the new deal that's going to go out, it's
2: going to blow your mind. That's all I'm going to tell you. Yeah, And I'm sure it's it is. It's going to and, blow your mind. And I'm there to it's, support. Um, let's do it. Let's let's bring this to the people. And, uh, guys, absolute, absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, man. Cheers Appreciate now. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.
0: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.